0: welcome back to over here my name is nick finzer and today i'm joined by a great tenor saxophonist band leader educator running around the country like a crazy man extraordinaire mr doug stone (laughs) doug thanks for being here for the podcast
1: thanks it's great to be here i really appreciate it
0: so doug has a brand new album called motion out january 2020 One of our first releases for the new decade, I guess. (laughs) Wow, uh, yeah. So, Doug, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, where you come from, and where you're at now? Okay.
1: So, I'm originally from uh, the Midwest, from Peoria, Illinois, which we'll hopefully loop back around when we talk about this uh, record. And uh, went to Northern Illinois University for my undergrad, lived in Chicago for... Uh, several years, then uh, moved to Rochester, New York, uh, did a jazz degree and a music ed degree at the Eastman School of Music, taught public school in Rochester for six years after that. So I lived in western New York for nine years, and, uh, which is, of course, where you and I met. And, uh, and then uh, in 2018, fall of 2018, I started teaching at Louisiana State University and uh, and that's what I'm doing now. And that actually, in some ways, is kind of, was kind of one of the motivating factors for uh, the tour, and then the, this record that uh, kind of came came from that. Um, because as I was living in Rochester, I was just teaching, kind of doing my thing there, playing locally, but not um, not really thinking too much about developing a performance profile beyond that. and uh, LSU, of course being a Division one research school really encourages faculty members to be actively playing and recording and traveling and of course teaching a little bit uh, uh, in conjunction with that, recruitment and that sort of thing. And uh, so uh, last year, during my first year, I booked a couple of tours and uh, one of them was just kind of in, in the Midwest and uh in in really mostly in illinois and uh and that tour uh, i was able to uh between some funding from lsu and from the eastman community music school uh we were able to get together with guys that i had met in rochester and played quite a bit with bob snyder on guitar and mike Molito's a great drummer and danny zeman a great bass player and uh we did we did a week of playing and teaching in Illinois and Indiana. And at the end, I just said, oh, man, we should um, book some studio time just to kind of document what we did, not really th- necessarily thinking towards, um, oh, this is going to be a record. And uh, as we all started listening back to things and mixing and, and doing all that stuff that you do, um, uh, the guys really encouraged me to try and do something with this thing. And so, uh, uh, since we are all good buddies with you, Nick, we felt like, uh, outside in would be the place to go and it all worked out.
0: (laughs) Well, that's great. Um, so let's pause for one minute and loop back around like you were talking about and, uh, tell us about like growing up in the Chicago scene. Cause I, I mean, I don't know everything there is to know about the Chicago scene and what it's like to grow up as a young musician there. Could you share some insight?
1: Of course. You know, I'm, uh, so I'm, I'm from Peoria, which is about, uh, about 150 miles, I guess, guess, um, Southwest of Chicago. And although it's a relatively small town, there's, uh, really a pretty thriving central Illinois jazz scene. There's, some schools like Bradley University and Illinois Central College and um, Illinois State University and Illinois Wesleyan and and Bloomington Normal and uh, U of I a little bit, but not so much up where I was. And I think as a result of that and just a lot of great musicians who have decided to make that area their home, it's a really good place to grow up and play jazz. And there's actually quite a few of us from that area who have been pretty active. Greg Ward and I um, grew up really at the same time. I think he was a year behind me in high school. And uh, I think his most recent record is Grammy nominated at least I think.
0: Um, Yeah, I think so. And then,
1: yeah. And then um, there's a good bass player in Chicago named Alex Austin who also kind of grew up with us. Um, Adam Larson, who's about 10 years younger than Greg and Alex and I, is of course a well-known saxophone player and doing a lot of great things and he was from Bloomington, normal and you know i think all of us would say uh that there were a a good amount of older musicians some of whom you know are are well known and have uh pretty impressive resumes like dave hoffman who played and did a lot of arrangements for the ray charles band for many 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 years he lives there and is definitely a mentor to me um but you know, even guys who who um, just teach at the local colleges. Larry Harms is a great tenor saxophone player. Todd Kelly is a great trumpet player at Bradley University. Um, there's too many too many to name, but um, uh, and and local musicians who aren't even you know who, who have do other kind of things as a profession, but but then do quite a bit of playing. Preston Jackson, a guitar player. Dave Parkinson, another one of my teachers, and a saxophone player. Um, those guys were really enthusiastic about helping younger musicians and I think being in a smaller area because you know we weren't really that's really not the Chicago area per se where we where I grew up. There are places where people are playing and, and older guys and they really if there's a high school student or even younger who shows promise they really will encourage that and help those people to be playing. And from that, I mean, I was playing gigs all through high school using older musicians in the town. So not only was I able to kind of have cool mentoring relationships and work with other people, but I was also able to kind of do some of the legwork and book gigs and and use some of these great players in that area. And then from there, um, actually, Greg, Alex and I, all three of us went to Northern Illinois University. And, and that scene there is good just for you know, Ronald Carter was there at the time. and uh, he is the, the way he teaches the fundamentals are really rooted in the tradition, rooted in swing, rooted in the blues and understanding the rhythmic concepts of jazz music and the African tradition and that sort of thing. And uh, And so we, we kind of you know made that leap to that place. And then of course, NIU is one of the schools that had had, especially at that time, a really good pipeline. Into Chicago, and um, and so as I moved into to Chicago, I you know I I definitely didn't have the same kind of mentoring relationships with people and the Chicago musicians as I would have with the guys more from Central Illinois. Um, mm-hmm. But the NIU connection was very helpful, and and you know there was a lot. I think right at the time I moved there in two thousand three, there were a lot of people from a lot of different schools, Midwestern schools, that ended up in chicago and there was a really thriving scene of just you know hanging out with people doing sessions and that sort of thing there were some a lot of different places to play original music and creative music and that sort of thing and just you know that that were kind of um coordinated or or hosted by um guys our age you know there's a guitarist nick fryer who really uh he had a Monday night series and I think it was two or three bands every Monday night. So there was that. And then there's, of course, you know, so many great older musicians and big bands and stuff like that, that, uh, you know, it was just a great place to be in a great creative environment. It was actually really hard to leave to, to go to the Eastman school when I did. Um, you know, I just knew for kind of some of my life and, uh, uh career goals beyond just playing i felt like i needed to do the master's degree um mm-hmm. but man it was hard to leave there was so much great stuff going on in chicago at that time and I- i'm sure there still is you know um i've been able to you know fortunately play great music in every place that i've been but uh yeah i just really remember that kind of feeling of that thriving scene of people being creative and writing music and and bands you know and uh, yeah. So, so Chicago is a great place and I'm looking forward to my trip, uh, this weekend too. I, you know, the, at the Green Mill, they're doing these, um, kind of the, the after hours jazz party, which used to be the Sabertooth band for many, many years. They're now kind of using guests and rotating through guests each, each Saturday night. So I'm sure that that'll be an opportunity to kind of hook up with, with some of my old friends again. And that'll yeah. be really cool.
0: So, nice. Yeah. 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 So I think uh, one part, maybe you, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, you left out. I'm not sure. Was I'm pretty sure you spent some time on the road with some big bands. Could you tell us about some of that experience?
1: I did. I was fortunate to do. I did just a couple of tours in 2004 and 2005 with the Maynard Ferguson, uh, Big Bob Nouveau, and uh, so that, of course, was. Just an amazing experience all around. And that was through kind of a Northern Illinois University connection and a Chicago connection. Tom the great trombonist Tom Garling, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of hooked me up with Ed Sargent, who was the tour manager at that time and had me send my stuff in. So yeah, that was definitely a very important experience just in my development. And I just think also in terms of jazz history, you know, being a part sure. of of that. Organization and, and and being on the road with Maynard, who you know was was definitely a uh, di- direct link to so many historical and important jazz players, you know. Um, and you know there were some other things I did through my connections at Northern Illinois. There was a nice uh, we we kind of categorized it as world jazz. Um, this group called Panoramic, and we had uh, it was Liam Teague, who's a great steel pan player um and and composer and improviser and then um, Robert Chapel was kind of coordinated the group and he played piano he also played um um uh, <sighs> he's a great percussionist <laughs> he had oh, tabla he studied tabla with Zakir Hussain I think in, oh, wow. in you know in India for first uh, months you know uh, and mm-hmm. so part of his thing was was that kind of that world music tradition and then this guy Orlando Coto who is a great uh conga player and and Latin percussionist played in the group so as you can see we kind of hit hit the bases of a lot of different musical traditions yeah and uh, and Robert and Liam really did a great job of uh just taking that you know we would we would do tours in the states we did some tour we we went to uh, Taiwan we did a tour in Taiwan. we did a couple of different things in the Caribbean, um, different jazz festivals and that um, and so that was also you know just another really great opportunity to play cool original music I mean very unique music um, mm-hmm. and 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 be on the road and you know that I always felt like with several of the groups I did in Chicago we we did a really good job about getting together and rehearsing music that was relatively complex stuff, but we played it so much that it got to feel pretty comfortable, you know? And I always thought, yeah. man, I, I bet when people listen to this, they kind of think that there's a lot going on here. But when you're so actively playing that music, it's just like, well, this is, this is the tune. This is how, how it goes, you know? And uh-huh. that, I think, is a really nice thing that comes from having opportunities to be on the road and, and play music more than just for one concert at a time,
0: you know? Oh yeah, definitely. So I imagine with all that experience and all this you know, great connections that you could have gone anywhere for your master's really, what what drew you to Eastman?
1: You know, I, I first of all did have some good friends there. I mean, I, I do this camp in Wisconsin in the summers, Birch Creek. And Jeff Campbell, as long as I've been doing it, has been the camp director. And of course he teaches at the Eastman School. I started doing that camp in 2003. And the first year I did it, you know, and throughout the time, Jeff was involved and Clay Jenkins and Rich Thompson did it. Um, and then there were a lot of uh, TAs at the camp who were Eastman students. So I had a good, easy kind of connection, and I felt the transition would be pretty easy. But I was also, prior to my public school teaching career, which actually kind of happened as a direct result of some of the stuff they did at Eastman, I really felt like that maybe I would end up in the university level teaching scenario and of course the the Eastman connection in terms of that type of work is pretty amazing. I mean there are so many wonderful performers that you can make a direct link to that their their Eastman their time at Eastman. But man, and you've probably noticed this too as I've gone around to different jazz festivals and done stuff in different part of the parts of the country. It has been amazing now that I'm, you know, I'm an Eastman alum and I'm out of Rochester. So I've had some other experiences that wouldn't have happened if I was still just doing my public school teaching thing. It is really amazing how almost every place you go, I, know, I you know, I'll even say that every place I've gone since I've started my job at LSU and then, you know, done different festivals and things like that. The the Eastman, there's been multiple Eastman connections every place I go. Um, You know, just people people who end up going the college teaching route. There's so many people that 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 Eastman uh, connection has really made that happen for them. And and I mean, that's how I got this job at LSU. And so, uh, our I think my wife and I our original thought was, if I went to Eastman, that would give me a little bit of a leg up in a a college job search. And it, you know, it, it, I didn't really push that too hard for a while, but then once I started looking into these types of jobs, it really was definitely, a an important thing. So, so the motivation was for me to eventually find a teaching college level teaching opportunity through that. And, and here I sit, you know, in Baton Rouge at LSU. So, so I think that that our uh, our plan, at least once in our life, our plan worked out.
0: <laughs> it worked out. It worked out just yeah, fine. It took
1: a while. It did take a while, but it worked out.
0: <laughs> yeah. So let's di- kind of talk about the record a little bit. You mentioned uh, Danny Zeman, bassist, uh, drummer Mike Molito, and guitarist Bob Snyder, all Rochester uh, Eastman, you know, adjacent people, if not Eastman faculty themselves or students. And, uh, so, you know, you said you put together this tour, but talk, could you talk a little bit about like some of the music you picked and like, what, what made that band kind of connect on that repertoire?
1: So, um, you know, as I was thinking, you know, I, I knew that I had wanted to book something with the band, and somehow you know Mike and Bob and Danny, as I think Bob and I started discussing this idea first, and then Bob suggested that through the Eastman Community Music School, this type this type of project could get a little funding, you know, in terms of travel money and that sort of thing. And so Bob, obviously, he teaches at the Eastman School, but he's also very active at the Eastman Community Music School, as is Danny. As is Mike Melito. and so you know, in a way, this group is was was you know. There's a couple other guys, of course, on faculty at the Community Music School, um, but this was kind of a, a version of the Eastman Community Music School faculty group. Um, and I, of course, spent so much time in Rochester playing with those guys and had such a good personal and musical connection with them. And it was just kind of interesting to think, man, I wonder what would happen with, with our playing as a unit if we had some time together. Um, and we had had, you know, the other thing I think that happened was we had some nice video footage that I knew I could use in trying to, um, book some, some performance things and some teaching things because we had played at the, uh, Rochester Jazz Festival at the Library series the year before and so we had some nice video footage as well so I used that as I was trying to book this these performances um, and like I said it was kind of interesting because I I was definitely not thinking um, along the lines of really making a record per se um, and I just asked Bob hey man bring some tunes that you would like to do and so some, uh, you know, Full House maybe, maybe nobody else but me. There was a couple of tunes that we had played quite a bit when we were in Rochester. I feel like Full House is maybe kind of our theme song as a group. Um, <laughs> but you know, Bob and I had done a couple of recitals. One in particular that was just actually trio with Jeff Campbell and he and I at the at the summer camp. And Bob really, he he has a lot of good ideas for tunes that kind of fit a certain kind of hard bop vein of playing, but they're, they're not stuff that would just be go-to tunes. like, uh, you know, uh, I don't think – I had pr- I think whatever uh, – maybe Jean de Fleur might be on grant stand maybe. So I have the records <laughs> that a lot of these tunes are on, you know. Mm-hmm. But I definitely had never played that in Bob. Like he digs out really great Brazilian tunes um and which you know there's an example of that on the record too um he's i think he you know of course he's interested in guitar players so you got some grant green you got some jimmy rainey um got some west montgomery and um so so bob, bob brought the tunes but you know mike is a great jazz historian too and and he and Bob have such a hookup in terms of the records they like and the music they like and the stuff that they want to play that Mike of course was, was really familiar with the music and, you know, Bob picked tunes that really featured the strengths probably of all of us really. So, so I have to really give a lot of credit to Bob in terms of the, the repertoire we do here. And, uh, you know, like I said, it, it kind of in relationship to just being on the road in general, man, after a week of playing those tunes, and, even, and that's not that long of a time, but man, to do them every day. And there was a couple of situations where we had times to, you know, maybe cover the tunes twice in a day on a performance. You know, there was one day prior to this recording where we had two sets at, at Joliet Junior College, and then we played two sets at, at Merriman's Playhouse in... in um, in Indiana, South Bend, Indiana, that evening, you know, and so you, you really start to dig into the material and really make it yours, you know. So, so uh, yeah, there are tunes that we would naturally have done in Rochester anyway, but we got we had a. This gave us an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper with them.
0: Yeah, well, I think it turned out super well, and it's right in the wheelhouse of the band in general, but especially all those guys in particular. Yeah, I thought when I heard it. And, yeah. uh, you know, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, which I thought was super cool and super interesting was, um, the liner notes that, that got written for the record. Oh, Could yeah. you tell us a little bit about your connection to him and liner notes? I thought they were yeah. really well done.
1: So, um, uh, this, this Jim Zantra and I know each other from Birch Creek. Uh, and so Jim's career was very interesting. He started out. As a writer at Downbeat. Now, I, I, you, we could probably look up the years he was there. Um, I'm thinking maybe 60s, sometime in their 70s, early 70s, maybe. And uh, and he then transitioned from there to being um, an editor at the Chicago Tribune. But he did several jazz features there, and and actually, at one point, Jim gave me uh, a huge stack of. Uh, papers and at least one of the books he's written and articles from the Tribune and from Downbeat and even some interesting things like uh, there was a letter. He had done a review of a jam session, a post Chicago jazz festival jam session. And, um, and Rahsaan Roland Kirk was playing and Jim wrote a couple of things about Rassan just in, in evaluating the performance that Rasan <laughs> did not dig. And so uh, Jim, in this packet, he sent me included his review and then Rasan's letter to the editor, (laughs) kind of like kind of saying, I disagree with what this guy is saying. Um, And even some old ledgers like from the Woody Herman band and stuff like that. Jim uh, wrote a book on Bill Chase. uh, And so I have a copy of that. I don't think I've completely gotten through it. But uh, Jim was also really associated with the Woody Herman band for many years. Uh, and so, so he retired and moved to Door County, Wisconsin, which is kind of a place that a lot of Chicago people would consider moving, you know, um, after a career and after being in the city for many years. Um, and so he really was not too active at Birch Creek until Jeff Campbell started using Dennis McCrell and Jim knew Dennis from the Basie band and, and probably even with, um, you know, with with uh Thad Jones because Dennis, I believe, was the first drummer to take over after Mal had passed away. Oh. Um and so Jim then starts getting really interested in Birch Creek and he shows up to our concerts and probably through Dennis I met him. And, you know, of course Jim and I just uh struck up a conversation and I mean he is again walking jazz history, you know, and so right. it's just fascinating to talk to him. Um and so, you know, we we get to know each other, and we talk about some things. And at some point, I think he just kind of wrote Megan. My wife is doing some photography, and she put some things on her website. And I think Jim may have made some little edits to something that Megan had put on the website. You know, once an editor, always an editor. And <laughs> so then I I did a, a record. You know, I uh, just kind of something. Uh, kind of came out of a performance of a thing that I did in Rochester. And Jim wrote a little review of that record for something that I needed. And, uh, and so I was not thinking about liner notes, Nick, until you and your team asked about that. And then I thought, man, I wonder if Jim would write something up. And, yeah. uh, and so and he gladly, you know, gladly volunteered his services to do that. And so, that I mean, it's just really neat to have his, take on things and his, um, ideas about the music and our careers and to have those liner notes kind of, because I, you know, what I'm doing here and even, even the the recordings and the work that I'm doing now, it's, it is directly associated with my work as an educator, you know, like I was completely happy in Rochester, working with the kids at the school of the arts, teaching jazz. Um, but I feel like part of this, and I think you and I have talked about this, part of, part of this work that I'm doing at LSU, I mean, I, I will not be able to remain at this school unless I'm out there playing and recording and doing these things. And I think Jim really was able to encapsulate in those liner notes, this idea of the modern jazz musician and educator and how those roles are so in intertwined in what I think a lot of us are doing, you know? Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, that's Jim. He's just, he's just such a wonderful soul, such a great guy, but also a wonderful writer. And I'll tell you, man, the other day I put a post up on Facebook of, a. Uh, uh, picture where I was playing with the Northern Illinois Jazz, University Jazz Ensemble, and Frank West was the guest artist. And I actually spelled Frank West's name wrong. And Jim, <laughs> and Jim emailed me like 10 minutes after I put that thing up. He said, uh, Frank West has two S's, Doug, just so you know. And so I got right on there and edited. It. <laughs> but yeah, you can't have a you can't have a miss there will be no misspellings if Jim's answer is involved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember in the editing process he was very detailed. Yeah. Which is great. And he's also very yeah. honest, which is like not always the case, you know? He, yeah. he says what he thinks.
1: Yeah. 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 Amazing, it's really man. cool well, to, to be associated where... with people like that.
0: Oh yeah. So uh, just tell people where they can find your music and connect with you uh, so they can hear the record.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, you're going to have to tell me some of that because oh, I'm sure. still in the learning stages of, of how all that works. But um, uh, in terms of, uh, of me, I'm at Louisiana State University, and I'm really trying to stay active here in southeastern Louisiana. Um, the record will be out on all the streaming platforms. Am I Correct.
0: You are correct.
1: Okay. And uh, the release date is Jan- – oh, so are we – we're doing January 17th? Or did we change yeah. that? It's the 17th, oh, okay. right? Okay. <laughs> January 17th. And uh, dougstonejazz.com is my website. So, of course, we'll have links through there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, I, I'm i happy to connect with anybody. And I hope people like, like what we've done here, <laughs> at least if – because it represents the kind of cool relationship we have with the guys in this band.
0: Definitely. And uh, so we'll send people there. You'll be able to find that on outside in com website, and we'll send you over to Doug to uh, get your copy. So Doug, thanks for being here and uh, we look forward to hearing what's next from you.